Hi everyone! This week's episode is a crossover episode with Radical Reimagining, the podcast with Libby Smith, Devin Wisner, and Tiffany Tovey, in which they collectively reflect on how we can be more human in our evaluation work. Libby, Tiffany, and I chatted about what felt radical about the 2021 American Evaluation Association Virtual Conference. I love chatting with these beautiful humans, and this is just a taste of what was ultimately a two-hour conversation we had to cut short because we all needed to go to dinner. I hope you enjoy our reflections on the conference, and we're very eager to hear what your reflections were. What did you find radical about the conference? With that, thank you as always for listening and enjoy. Well, hello, everyone. I'm here with uh, one of my co-hosts, Tiffany Tovey. And uh, as I mentioned in the intro, Devin's not here with us today. He wasn't able to attend Eval 21 this year. Uh, but we are here with a fellow podcast host, uh, Dana Wanzer from Evalueland. Welcome, Dana. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. So we thought today we'd just open this the same way we open most of our podcasts, uh, of asking you what radical reimagining means to you. Yeah, we had, you know, we had a little conversation before we started because um, it was interesting. I, I brought up that to me, radical and reimagining when I initially was thinking about this, they felt a little um, meaning the same thing that radical meant um, something kind of beyond our imagination a little bit, something that was outside of the norm, something that was just um, not typically thought of or done or experienced. And so um, I was really interested in how you all described it for me of thinking of radical as getting to the root of things. And it really illuminated to me that radical reimagining is more so reimagining things at a more systemic structural level, as opposed to thinking about reimagining at a very surface level. I think about like you know, that, that image that comes up that, that meme, and hopefully people have seen the third comic image that comes up, you know what I'm talking about, of where it's the three people on boxes. And so equality is that the boxes are the same height. Equity is the boxes are of height for the person's height, right? So that they could see over the fence, Mm -hmm. but then justice is getting rid of that fence. And to me, radical reimagining is thinking about how can we get rid of those structural barriers so that equity becomes equality um, and that we can all kind of live in this space in a way um, that we all feel that we belong and are supported. Yeah. I always like to think really truly justice means that we don't all have to be at a baseball game. (laughs) I wouldn't mind that. That's justice. But yeah, no, I I love that though, that, um, you know, I I don't think it was, you know, we, we came to the name of this podcast maybe without even really thinking about what radical means but it was through writing some of the like early blog posts that you know I kind of dug into the etymology of it and realized that you know um, the etymology is about the root of things and so uh, you know I I think of it as you know reimagining things in a way that gets us back to the root of things like recognizing that it is in some ways a place that we have been in the past but things have separated us from the root of things and so you know, that reimagining though, but yeah, getting rid of the wall, right? Making, make, not making any of those like interventions even necessary. We think about when it comes to radical, what's really new 
And it's interesting to think about the fact that none of this is new. Yeah. Um, and yet, yeah. We, you know, we, we get to the root of things and then we, we think and we think and we plan and we organize and we get past that root and we get further and further from it. And then we need to rethink how we can get back to that route. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that's really important that um, the sorts of topics that we talk about on this podcast aren't necessarily new. <laughs> They're just kind yeah. of rethinking those things that we thought we had, we thought we understood, um, and we need to revisit in order to kind of bring it bring it all forward and progress in an equitable fashion in our society. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've I've had the thought over, you know, the course of having this podcast as well, is that we could have called it Radical Remembering. Ooh. Right? That, that would have been good, too. We would have been fine with that. But, you know, then we wouldn't have maybe had the little, like, you know, quotation marks around the re or something. But, you know, um, that really is about remembering our own humanity, remembering, you know, our connection to the land, our connection to ourselves, our connection to each other. And like, that's a lot of what we've forgotten. And so, you know, when we think about radical reimagination of our field, that's what we're getting back to, right? Maybe, maybe in some new ways, it is about getting back to who we, who we are. I've been very interested in, um, actually, well, I actually don't know what, uh, what it comes from. I think it's Greek mythology, the Ouroboros mm-hmm. of the, the snake or serpent, uh, dragon, whatever it is eating its own tail, symbolizing kind of a rebirth, mm-hmm. uh, growth of new life, uh, with, with death comes life with, with bad comes mm-hmm. good, kind of the cyclical nature. And I've just been kind of really into that. I mean, I've actually been into it for most of my life, yeah. um, of thinking about the cyclical nature of who we are, are, but then beyond that, right? Who we are as a profession, who we are as a society, um, who we are as evaluators and so on. Yeah. So we, we wanted to come to this, you know, reflection around Eval 21 today, kind of around this question of, this, you know, during your time at conference, what, you know, what did you see, hear, notice that felt radical to you? And so we, we each had some kind of independent reflection time and, you know, are bringing some items to the table here today. Um, so I, I guess I'd like to start out with, you know, this is a, something I actually tweeted out about in, in, in real time, uh, but it was the, the land acknowledgement uh, in the opening plenary. Um, and, and we've had land acknowledgements at um, conferences for, for a number of years now. I don't know exactly what year it started, but it's, it's become a standard feature of that opening plenary. But something about this one felt different. And um, Andrea Lisa Belzer was the person who was invited to do that land acknowledgement. Um, and, and there was one line in there that really stood out to me. And that was, decolonization is a deeply spiritual and personal journey for everyone. And that felt radical to me in a couple of ways, both in that, you know, acknowledging the spiritual nature of the work, but also in terms of like, we don't often think of it as like personal work. We're decolonizing academia, we're decolonizing evaluation, we're decolonizing, you know, data analysis, whatever it is. But, but the decolonization work that we need to do is actually in, in ourselves, right? And I know that that word decolonization is, you know, maybe in some ways losing its meaning. Uh, but I think if we can maybe make it personal again, it can find its meaning as well. 
So I don't know if, if either of you have, have any like clear memories of that land acknowledgement or if it felt if it felt different to you. I, I don't have clear memories of the land acknowledgement, but the um, plenary speaker afterwards, Frank Walm. Walm, I believe, yeah. Yeah, um, I was. I really appreciated his plenary session of his experience growing up and how those experiences have transgressed to other areas of his life and how he thinks about things. It was just, I was really deeply moved by his overall presentation and his thoughtfulness and and I ended up following and reading the he had um maybe we can put these in the show notes but he had a wonderful op-ed that he wrote and a PBS special where he and other people um had performed music and his his was lovely I really liked it so um hopefully other people had took a took a moment to explore what else he had to offer yeah, and it, I think what I'll just say there real quickly before I let you speak on this, Tiffany, is I think what you just said about Frank's presentation was that it was also deeply personal, mm-hmm. right? You know, and that I don't think is something we've seen as no. much from, from the plenary stage. And, and so thinking about <laughs> this person making things a personal journey, you know, he was sharing really like deeply personal information from the stage. Yeah, I totally am speaking right into your point, Libby, already. But like, I I was so refreshed to see the airspace that Frank got, um, uh, just to tell the story, yeah, and to like tell it in a way that you can really see exactly what has happened in our history, um, and how that has affected Indigenous people. Um, that, and I hadn't even thought about it until we were just reflecting on it but like that was like really big for me when we had that opening plenary that didn't feel disjointed it felt way more like we've got this music we've got this culture and we've also got this really rich story behind why we brought Frank in in the first place there have been plenty of opening plenaries in the past where it was like you're nodding to these things you're nodding to these cultures but you haven't given the airtime and the airspace to actually really delve into why we're doing this in the first place. Well, it does remind me though of uh, Dominica McBride's plenary session. Um, I believe this is 2018, maybe 2017. Uh, that one also felt very deeply personal of her story, her sharing her story and, mm-hmm. and the become um, her, her organization become right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think, it, it's not that it hasn't been there, but I, I do see it happening a lot more that yeah. we're sharing our individual stories. Mm-hmm. That explicit recognition. Yeah. Yeah. I love, thank you for bringing it back to Dominica because that's where we've been. Our journey over the last three months has been with Dominica and the, and the folks from Become. So thanks for tying that all together, Dana. <laughs> I was not being explicit about it, but um, those were also very good episodes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tiffany, do you have a, a, something you found from conference uh, that felt radical to you? I think that the my big message, I've spent, I've spent some days thinking about where I feel like things are radical or were radical in Eval 21. And the big thing for me is that we have, we've given explicit, intentional, and dedicated airspace for topics like if y'all remember, uprooting the evaluation theory tree, right? Or abolition or white supremacy, colonialism, racism, they were all given 
airspace and intentional time um, for us to reflect on them. And it provided a platform for engaging these issues that was backed by a prominent organization like the American Evaluation Association. So it's that ability to actually be loud about these topics and hear the voices um, of those who perhaps haven't had that airspace in the past, which we've, we talked about before this session. Um, so, you know, it's this idea that what is the, what is the role of advocacy work and evaluation? Um, and, and what is the role of values? And how do our personal values and the program or policy or whatever it is we're evaluating, how do those values and our values enmesh and how can we how can we think through our values and how those values and morals are at play in those projects, programs, and policies that we evaluate? So that airtime for me was really the big thing that was radical um, about Eval Twenty One, and that they were elevated to the level of a plenary, right? Not just um, in one of the small sessions in the hotel or something. That they were elevated <laughs> to the plenary, and and also its own session. It was not a part of a larger session. It wasn't somebody invited by the plenary speaker to say something extra or sing something yeah. extra. Like they were brought on explicitly to share that message explicitly. And I very much deeply appreciated that. Yeah. I, I'm sitting here now imagining in my head, like how we would do a content analysis of all past conferences mm -hmm. and like really looking. So I'm wondering, you know, yeah, obviously it, you know, having the the session on the plenary stage, you know, focusing on abolition, uh, abolishing whiteness, you know, the, you know, is, is a huge step, you know, something that felt deeply different than past years. But I do wonder, like, what sessions have been out there in past years that were just sort of like buried in the 800s and some sessions that happen every year? That like, was that just something that I missed in the noise of conference? And so, you know, in, in this conversation, I've been thinking a lot about like the progression of the, of, the, of the change that I see in what happens at conference. Uh, but yeah, this, this has just made me reflect on like, ooh, what wasn't I noticing? Because conference in the past is so big that was I just missing it? And was I not ready to hear it? Yeah, because I was going to say, I, I think for me, it was a shift in my personal identity as an evaluator that has led me to uh, actively seek and want to attend those sessions. Yeah. Um, versus who I was an evaluator five years ago was very different of what sessions I was type, what I was seeking uh, for, what I was knowledgeable about, like my knowledge experience has shifted and changed a lot. And now I'm very much interested in those. And cause I, I was looking briefly, cause this was something that came up for me as well. Like, wow, we're having so many more rich conversations about this and reflections about this. But then I go back to the program and I, I didn't dive too deep and the search is only at the title level really. Um, but maybe there weren't as many as I thought, mm. but my schedule was filled with it. Yeah. Um, so like I was actively seeking it, but to what extent is everybody else? I'm not entirely sure about that. So yeah, a lot of it is the, about the choices we individually make and like how we do have a lot of control over our own individual conference experience in that way. And, you know, how you walk away feeling from a conference really does depend on how you fill each hour, right? Yeah. Dana, do you have an item you'd like to share with us? One thing that just came to mind is with the pandemic, there's been a lot of discussion about 
the purpose of conferences in and of themselves. Mm. Like, why do we go to them? What are they for? What should we get out of them? How much should we pay for them? How should they be conducted? And um, I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't have answers obviously, but just thinking about like, why am I there and what does a virtual conference provide us that an in-person can't, um, and thinking about how we can shift towards including this in the future. Cause you know, there's a variety of reasons why a virtual is better. As much as I miss seeing people in, in person, there's a mm-hmm. variety of reasons why it's better. Like I'm mostly there for the professional development. Right. And so I didn't have very much networking. So it was really about just learning and engaging with the content that people were providing. It really enables a level of accessibility that an in-person can't provide. There's no travel necessary. Um, although there are new accessibility challenges that can arise with technology um, mediated communication like this. But just, I think we need to just think and step back and think about like, why do we have this AEA conference who attends and for what reasons? And can we continue this type of modality moving forward? Because we had so many more international folks represented at this conference that I, at least I noticed. um, And, but I can imagine why, right? They no longer have to travel overseas, work about visas or anything like that. It's much easier for them to attend this type of conference. And if we're thinking about, and if, if we value, which I have a personal value of transparency and openness and um, sharing the knowledge type thing, like if we value that type of thing, then having a closed conference, like an in-person one leads to, like, do we value that? Is, is that what we want to do? Is that the only way we want to move forward as a collective association coming together and convening? Yeah. Yeah, I have lots of feelings about the accessibility issues around in-person conference. And I'm going to say it's something that I didn't think about even a little bit until the 2019 conference in in Minneapolis. And it was a conversation I had with someone. And and that was a, I mean, I, I think they all share this, but Minneapolis was like particularly spread out. Um, just like mm-hmm. very long distances between places where sessions were held. And I know in Minneapolis isn't unique in that way. I remember when we were in Denver in 2014, we were in two different buildings, right? So like they, they all share this a little bit. And I had never considered the accessibility challenges um, that those distances present for people, like just getting from one space to another. And like, so then what is people's experience of the conference? You know, like, like I just said, we have these, like we think we have a lot of choice in our conference experience based on just the sessions we choose. But I can get from one end of the building down all the way down to the other in 15 minutes. That's not a problem for me. But there are lots of other factors that, you know, influence people's ability to experience conference in person that, that I think we don't consider at all. On like the level of the level of stimulation that a conference gives, like yes. remember the 2019, I believe it was, they had that kind of quiet space. Yes. Um, that one also mm-hmm. had a space dedicated for people of color to have mm-hmm. their own space um, where you yeah. know they could be without white folks present and in mm-hmm. a very white centric, white dominated conference, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so like those are two things that weren't here at the online conference. What would that look like for an online conference? Um, right. What kind? Like we have a lot more breaks for the online conference, but also my mm-hmm. break is fifteen minutes of 
get up from the computer as opposed to run to the next session because I am able-bodied and able to run. Probably should have run between the sessions this this year. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, my my footwear has changed, right? From running (laughs) shoes to uh, slippers slippers (laughs) and pajamas on the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to think about like the benefits of the virtual conference as compared to the benefits of the in-person conference. And I think the three of us are, are all, um, <laughs> we're very interested in getting back together again and having that actual in-person networking space. But there have been such good benefits um, to doing this virtual conference. I mean, Dana has highlighted a couple of, a few of them, some of the bigger ones. There's also just the ability to see what people's perspectives are like in real time, as we're listening to a session, like I really so enjoyed just being able to see the diversity of perspectives in the chat box as, as, you know, Mm -hmm. these plenaries were happening about abolition, about white supremacy, about how do we, re-envision what it means to have evaluation theory in our profession. Um, and you can see that people are engaged and how people are engaged. And I would really just love to see that component of, of the conference kind of live on even once we, once we are in some semblance of in-person. Well, that makes a little nod to another item that I wanted to to bring forward was that there was a a session, uh, it was day two, and we'll we'll put some of the titles and and names of these sessions in the chat. So because I know we didn't specifically say the name and title of Vidya and Aisha's session, but we'll link to all that in the the show notes. So it's there. Um, But there was a session, it was... um, right after the plenary with Aisha and Vidya. Um, it was called Evaluators Unite, Resisting Othering, Statecraft, and Carceral Logic. And obviously that, that feels radical just in and of itself, but there was a thing they did that felt particularly radical to me, was that at the end of their session, they invited people to another hour later in the day that they had set up of their own accord, right? So just kind of said, this is what we're doing. And, Mm -hmm. but it was for a space for people to come together and reflect on what they've learned. Right. So you are noticing some of that in the chat and how that's actually happening in real time during some of these sessions. Um, But I think, you know, again, as we think about some of the accessibility issues of conference, one of the pieces that I often think is missing is that depth of conversation, Mm -hmm. right? And the chat supports a little bit of that, but having the space to actually reflect together with other people um, around what you learned in a session, I think is so important. Um, And we saw, I think a little bit of that happen. I think Dana, you helped with this last year. Like you brought some people together who had attended conference, maybe rewatched some sessions together and spent some time in conversation around it, you know, just small groups of people. And and actually I'm hoping to set something up just again for myself really, because I'm really wanting to engage in it, but around the plenary about Aisha NVIDIA's session um, Mm -hmm. just to create a reflective space around what we learned. Um, So I might be pulling that together and putting that out there as well. But like it's it's 100% selfish because I just want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. It was wonderful to sit there and listen to them and like learn in that way. But now I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it with other evaluators. And so to see the folks who did the um, Evaluators Unite session. It was Israel Perez, Bill, Michael Patillo, Dylan Felt, um, April Patillo, I think is the other person. Um, you know, to see them go ahead and just say, yeah, we need this space. That felt really radical to me. 
that open space for reflective practice. I, I think that that's the big thing. I think even whether we're talking about a virtual conference or or an in-person conference, like we get to the sessions, we do the sessions and then we run away and we're like, oh, back to business yeah. as usual right after that week of fun that we had. And then you just forget everything you ever learned from that conference as opposed to critically reflecting on how yeah. we can embed these concepts into our own practice and our way of doing doing evaluation. Dana, what are your thoughts? I know you're about to say something. I just, I, there were, there were little pockets of that. Right. Um, and I think even before the conference, technically our conference platform had the like option to like take notes and have conversations. We never used it. Uh, and, and I don't, I don't blame folks for that one bit. Um, we also had Twitter as a back channel that there were some very, very rich conversations on Twitter mm-hmm. about the conference for that kind of reflection on what was going on. So I think it was there and we can continue that practice. But I think at this conference as well, um, there were some more AEA sponsored ones um, with these coffee chats that happened every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'll just highlight the one that um, I did and Tiffany, you were there on Friday. Unfortunately, it was like our shortest coffee chat. It was only half an hour and it, it was felt not- so short. It was not enough yeah. time, unfortunately, but the whole point was just like, share what you learned, share what lessons you learned, share things that you're going to take away, what was interesting or intriguing for you. And I, I wish we had had more time because it was really interesting to hear people's reflections and thoughts that I don't think I would have ever heard unless they were already kind of yeah. like a primary contact, right? Like, like we talk you know, and we'll text or something. And so like, I'll hear from you, but I got to hear from people who I would have never heard from before about their experience. And it was just, it was a very joyful experience to hear from folks and facilitate that coffee chat. Those coffee chats, Dana, I was there, I was paying attention, but I was also like, can we have like an hour, hour and a half? (laughs) And, 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 and could, and one of the things that I even told to the AEA uh, survey was like, can we do breakout sessions? Can we actually make it small enough that people feel like yeah. they can share their thoughts in a, in a, you know, when you've got like 80 people in one coffee chat, it's really hard to manage perspectives. Yeah. But if you could, if you could get the volunteer base, I'm happy to volunteer, Dana, in case you're curious. Um, if you can get the volunteer space to actually hold space for people, um, I think that's really that that would be really rich for for getting people's perspectives on how things are going. We've definitely put the plug in for figuring out ways to maintain kind of that coffee break space in in the in person and you know see how we can help help that translate. Because I think you know Dana brings up that point of like hearing from people that you may never hear from otherwise. Because even when I do network, you know, at the in person conference, I'm still largely networking with people I already know. Like I'm spending some time with them. I'm getting time time and space to actually talk with them. Um, but, you know, I might only meet a handful of new people each year at conference. So, so yeah, I'm actually reimagining in real time here as you all are talking about like, you know, this depth that we need and like, you know, having breakout rooms and such. Imagine like a day of conference where there's a plenary in the morning that everybody, you know, that's the only thing happening. You go to the plenary and then the whole rest of the day is just like breakout rooms and caucus space for everybody to discuss oh, what they learned. And that like, would be lovely. And maybe there'd be people like, you know, hosting in each of those rooms that like kind of like focus on certain pieces of it. Cause you know, you heard 90 minutes worth of content. 
So you could kind of break it out into its parts. Oh, you really want to hear more, learn more, talk about this thing, go to this room, you know? And then just like the whole day is on that one topic, right? And so you get a chance to kind of bounce around, talk to other people. So we're just going to reimagine the conference in real time. I here. love that. Well, and like, do we need to have one big annual conference every year or could we have more smaller intimate conferences? Like I, I think about a conference I went to one of my earliest conferences I went to, it was very small it was a very niche conference of the topic and, you know, food was involved and so, or like included. And so you would sit at a round table of like 10, 12 people and you chat around a meal that was provided around and sometimes there'd be a plenary right beforehand so you're just kind of engaging and reflecting as part of the in like built-in conference and and if we had more narrow conference topics that like really everybody's there for that primary person because like evaluation is a very broad field right Mm -hmm. a multitude of 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 um of voices and experiences and approaches that uh, you can kind of get lost in it versus if we narrowed things down and had a multitude of smaller conferences, I feel like that would just be a ripe environment for really rich discussion. Yeah. So what are you guys, given that we're already reimagining what conference can look like moving forward, what would you guys hope for in eval 2022 i mean it like what what would further our radical space in the eval 22 conference next year what do you think it's a great question tiffany i mean i just i want to see a plurality of modalities i don't want us to shift fully back to an in-person only conference what that looks like whether it's a hybrid conference I, i'm not so sure about that um i think that's really difficult to, to do effectively um, with a variety of, of things, but rather can we have maybe an in-person conference and a virtual conference, um, two separate venues with two separate types of presentations mm-hmm. because some things are better suited for the virtual and some better suited for the in-person. Yeah. And can we have both, like a both and type thing? Yeah. Can we have conferences for each TIG, right? Um, when, when everything shifted and everything went down from like, you know, we had 30 accepted presentations. Now we're going down to two. We just lost out on, on hearing from 28 other presentations. And so we wanted to, and weren't quite sure if we had like the, the green light to go ahead with of having a conference just for our TIG of being able to spotlight and highlight and discuss those extra conver- uh, presentations that were otherwise unex- like not accepted because of the shift in modality. Mm-hmm. Again, like it would just allow for a more intimate space, like the research on evaluation TIG coming together to talk research on evaluation. Like we get yeah. to nerd out all together on a topic <laughs> we all hopefully love as much as maybe I do. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking, you know, reflecting on your question, Tiffany, is like, what do we hope to see from Eval 22 is, you know, I'm thinking about the conference theme, reshaping evaluation together. I think I'm getting that right. You know, that, that we shift from this space of talking and learning into a space of some action, right? And so like an example, like an example that I would draw is like, the, the ways in which you often hear people doing land acknowledgements have shifted. Like you heard this in a lot of the land acknowledgements is people not just 
making the acknowledgement, but stating the ways in which they're actually like taking action as it relates to that. Mm-hmm. And, and so if I think about like reshaping, well, what are we actually going to do to reshape? Can we shift into like a place of like having conversation at least about what those actions actually are? Right. And that isn't just sort of like a, a theoretical conversation, you know, is that it, it move it moves us from a place of thinking and learning to a place of action. It's a big ask though, isn't it? It is for sure. And we know that re- the, the keystone of reflective practice is that you actually have to take action on the reflections in order for it to be full circle, yeah. a reflective practitioner's way of being. Um, and so I'm right there with you. Like, I feel like what is actionable? How can mm-hmm. we make space for what we can take action on in our own practice? And in addition to that, I think that the big thing that I think it's hard with a virtual space um, in particular to do this, but I think that engaging in conflict from a healthy space mm. um, of people aren't going to all come at a topic from the same perspective. And that's the richness of the human condition, right? Is like, we don't all have the same Um, way of seeing things and to really take the space and make the space um, for real dialogue, sitting in those conflicting perspectives and learning something from each other um, that we can take with us um, is something that I would really hope for, for eval 22 too. Yeah, I think too, I think maybe this is a nice note to to kind of wrap up on is that, you know, kind of what, what you were saying there, Tiffany, is that like, you know, we acknowledge each other's humanity and we see we see that in each other not and not just in it I think we often talk about seeing that in our participants the people who are the the subjects of our research uh but we don't talk about it in ourselves and in and seeing it in each other a whole lot and so you know I think we saw some of that in this year's conference you know in um you know, the invitation during the plenary to, to move into our bodies during the uh, video, Shankar invited us into that, you know, kind of moment of, of centering to like remind us that even here sitting in front of the computer screen, we have bodies and we should remember that. And, um, you know, there, there, was, there was other places that I noticed it too. And I think that's very deeply tied to what Dana was saying about that accessibility is that like, you know, acknowledging our very human needs in the, in the conference space, like I could also go on about like how hard it is to get lunch at conference, right? We all need lunch. Dinner we've got solved, but lunch is really hard, <laughs> you know? And so like we have these really very basic human needs of like, you know, obviously lunch, but also belonging and connection and feeling seen and heard. And I see some of those changes happening, um, but at the same time, like I think we, we need to keep inviting more of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, another session who's also Vidya Shankar and Aisha Rios, but with uh, Giovanni Dazzo, uh, the con- uh, on Friday, the meeting the moment or abolishing it, transformative justice and abolitionism for practicing evaluator activists. I was unfortunately I had to leave early because I had to prepare, prepare for that coffee break um, that we just talked about, but how they used the how, how they shared a story and then reflected on this story from a very human-based approach not reflecting on like like literally focusing on the body right 
Yeah. And we're not focusing on the outcomes. We're focusing on the body and the emotions and the, the vibe and all the, I, what was, what was the, the acronym? Do you remember? Vimba is the acronym and I'm going to, I don't know that I'm going to remember. I know the, the V is vibes. I don't know vibes, that I'm going to yep. remember all of them. I, I don't think I can remember them either, but it just felt very real, right. Versus very, and in the body as opposed in the heart, as opposed to in the mind. And it's something that I always have to just get out of. Um, yeah. Like I live in my mind way too much. And, you know, the thinking about bringing somatic practices, bringing the body to our work and stuff like that, like I'm still like, this is still very new to me, but um, I think, I think in making us like bringing more of our humanity to our work is like so critical yeah. and we lost it. But the pandemic has just really like, really demonstrating that everybody brings their humanness to their work, regardless of whether they acknowledge it or not. Mm-hmm. And if we start acknowledging it, we can start, you know, being better humans. Yeah. That's the goal. That's what this podcast is all about too. So thank you for putting a bow on that for us, Dana. You, you really showed up for us here today, Radical Reimagining, <laughs> tying us back to our past episodes, reminding of us why we're here. So thank you. Thank you for, for uh, joining us for this reflection today. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll make this an annual tradition. And, like, we'll see you at all at Eval 22. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I hope so. Let's have a live podcast recording. Oh, my gosh. session. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Maybe not plenary, but I have, I've heard other podcasts they've recorded at conferences and do we make it an actual session? Are we submitting, Ooh. are we submitting Ooh. this? Let's do it. To be continued. <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please visit the podcast website at evalueland.fireside.fm where you can subscribe to get notified of new episodes and contact us with your questions, comments, or suggestions. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, this has been Evalueland.